Appreciate you joining us here this morning. Though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. Amen? His truth will triumph through us. What a great promise that is. I hope everybody had a good Christmas. Nice to see everybody here, still sporting some red. I see that, so very good. Got in the festive mood for it. Uh, My name's Dean. I'm one of the pastors here at Community Church of Greenwood, and I'd like to welcome you again. uh, If you would, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 18, or your apps or your uh, devices, John chapter 18. This morning, we are finishing our month-long Christmas Advent series on expectations, why Jesus had to come. And we've been looking at the perspective of the four gospel writers of why Jesus had to come on that first Christmas and its significance for us, you and me, today, 2,000 years later. And so we've been looking at that and digging in deep. Today we will hear the most definitive reason. We've heard from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but we're going to hear today from John the most definitive reason why Jesus had to come, because it comes from his word himself. And that's where we're going to find that in chapter 18. The background of this, Jesus is completing his three years of earthly ministry. He is heading for the cross to be crucified for sin, to rise again, to give victory over death and the grave. But on that journey, he has had his last dinner with his disciples, instituted a communion with them that we still celebrate and will do so later today. He has been in the garden, he has been arrested, he's brought to trial three mock trials in front of the Jewish religious leaders where they question him, they ridicule him, and they beat him. And now he is brought to the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, and Pilate is interrogating him. And that's where we pick it up, chapter 18, verse 37 Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Very sarcastically he said it. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. He's basically affirming, yes, I am. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. You hear what Jesus is saying there? He's saying that the ultimate reason why he came was to be a voice of truth, to give witness to the truth, testimony to the truth. He came as a baby to grow, to live, to die and rise again, all as evidence of the truth of God. And so when we hear him and we hear his voice, we are hearing the truth of God. He is the proclaimer of of all truth. And so that's why I've entitled the message today, Finding Freedom in the Truth, because we are going to look at the Gospel of John and John's portrayal of Jesus as the truth, his words of truth, and then how we can find freedom in that for our lives. And I believe we should find freedom for our lives because of four of the truths that we're going to look at from John's words quoting Jesus today. Join me as we pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love for us. And thank you that in you, 
is the person and the proclaimer of ultimate truth. Open our eyes to that truth this morning and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, for we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, growing up, back when the dinosaurs still roamed the earth, uh, we were watching uh, black and white television, only three channels. Hard to believe, but one of those channels had a game show, and one of the game shows was called Truth or Consequences. They gave you a quick question you had to answer within a short period of time, and if you didn't get it, there were consequences to your missing that. Uh, At the same time, there was another quiz show. It was called To Tell the Truth. There were two imposters and one person telling the truth. You had to identify, excuse me, who that was. And around that time as well, Billy Joel, singer, came out with one of his hits. It was called Honesty. Honesty is such a lonely word. He said, everyone is so untrue. Honesty is hardly ever heard and mostly what I need from you. Uh, It seems that during that time growing up, uh, we had a difficult time finding the truth, uh, and we were looking for it all over the place. But we find that the ultimate truth is not found in a game show. It is not found in a song, contemporary song. It is found in a person and in his words, and that's the Lord Jesus. And the Apostle John is writing about him in his Gospel. So a little bit about the Apostle John, probably know a lot about him, but as a refresher, he was a fisherman. He was born in Galilee in the northern part of Israel, and his brother was James, and James and John, it seems that their mother was a woman named Salome. Salome is the woman who came to Jesus and said, I'd like my two sons to sit at your right and left hand when you come in your kingdom. She was also at the crucifixion of Jesus. She was also at the tomb of Jesus. And that would make her the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Meaning, John was a first cousin of Jesus himself. He was one of the first disciples called by Jesus to follow him. Part of the inner circle along with his brother James and Peter. When Jesus was dying on the cross for our sins, he looked down at his mother Mary and wanted to make sure she was cared for and said, John, you take care of her. And John did that. John pastored. John authored five books of the New Testament. 20% of the New Testament John is the author of, including the book of Revelation, the apocalypses of God revealing Jesus, and John was given the privilege of writing that down for us. And he was an eyewitness to Jesus' life, and he records that. He says in chapter 1, verse 14, and we, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the one and only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So John is recording all of that, and his gospel complements the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We know those as the synoptic Gospels, synoptics looking at the same optics. Matthew, Mark, and Luke looked basically at the same instances of Jesus' life. 
situations of Jesus' life. John is writing at the end of the first century, long after those other three accounts. He was familiar with those accounts. He wanted to write a different account, a real focused spiritual account, a unique account. And so his gospel looks very different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. As a matter of fact, he says what his purpose is of writing. John chapter 20, verse 31, he said, but these things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and believing that you might have life in his name. John was writing to clarify and to amplify the deity of the Lord Jesus. And one of John's key concepts was that of the truth concept of truth. And he was writing it because he was trying to combat false teaching, immoral living, idolatry that was prevalent during his day. And that's why it makes, we realize the Bible is so relevant because we face the same thing today. And so John is writing, and interesting, John 25 times quotes Jesus as saying, Truly, truly, I say to you. And it's the Greek word, amen, amen, amen. A a commentator said, leading off with the word amen, amen, not only implies that what follows is true, but also that the person making the statement has firsthand knowledge and authority about it. Oftentimes we put it at the end of a sentence, but when it's put at the the beginning, it has significance. 25 times Jesus is saying, this is a fact. This is the truth because I am the author of it. And Jesus was aware of the changing perceptions of and opinions about truth that men and women have. And we experience that today as well. John wrote about that and said, Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them, to people, because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about men, for he knew what was in man. He knew what was inside of us, the changing perceptions of truth. And that's why it's so important for you and me to dig in to the word of truth right here. The importance of it and its application to our life, the life change that takes place Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword and it pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God changes us. And I came across a study from the Center for uh, Biblical Engagement. They did a study of 400,000 people worldwide And it demonstrated what they called the power of four effect. And listen to this, that the life of someone who engages Scripture four or more times a week looks radically different from the life of someone who does not engage it at all or even does it once or twice, even three times a week. That exponentially four times a week makes a huge difference. And listen to this quote, in fact, the lives of Christians, Christ followers, who do not engage the Bible most days of the week are statistically the same as the lives of non-believers. 
Let me say that again. The lives of Christians who do not engage the Bible most days of the week are statistically the same as the lives of non-believers. They found that someone who engages the Bible four or more times a week is 30% less likely to struggle with loneliness. 32% less likely to lose control with anger. 40% less likely to have bitterness in relationships. 57% less likely to struggle with alcoholism. 59% less likely to view pornography. And 60% less likely to view their spiritual life as stagnant. On the other hand, those that engage four or more times a week are 228% more likely to share their faith. 230% more likely to disciple others, and 407% more likely to memorize Scripture. Staggering. That's why, as as Pastor Matt mentioned, I'm excited that we're offering a one-day, two-hour seminar on how to study the Bible. I know many of us start the new year saying, hey, I want to read through the Bible in a year. I want to dig in a little bit deeper, but I'm really not sure how to do it sometimes. We're going to offer a couple hours of digging into that and some tools that you can have, and I hope you'll be able to join us. So it was November 29th, 2008. I had been uh, serving at the gathering place for just a few months. We had moved here, and we went down to the brand new Lucas Oil Stadium to see Center Grove play Carmel in the football state championship game. And if you remember that very special day, uh, Senator Grove scored 19 points in the last couple minutes to win that first state championship. And I thought, man, this is pretty cool. We move into a community and already they're winning a state championship. I mean, that's pretty neat. And plus see that stadium. What was more amazing to me is there was a big contingent of that Senator Grove football team that were members of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, FCA. And their theme song for the year was The Voice of Truth by Casting Crowns. And that goes, The Voice of Truth tells me a different story. The Voice of Truth says, Do not be afraid. The Voice of Truth says, This is for your glory. Out of all the voices calling out to me, I will choose to listen and obey and believe the voice of truth. In this passage earlier, Jesus came and said he was, came to earth to bear witness to the truth, to be the voice of truth. So let's look at four of his great statements, his I am statements. And when Jesus says I am, he is picturing for his hearers that he is equal with God. Because God said to Moses what? Tell them, I am who I am is sending you. And when Jesus said, I am, people knew exactly that he was claiming to be God. And so he gives us four of those statements. The first one is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The background was Jesus was telling his disciples that he was going to Jerusalem. He was going to be crucified, dead, buried, rise again, but he was going to heaven to prepare a place for them. And you know the way to go there. 
And Thomas, speaking for all of them, said, Lord, we don't. We don't know how to get there. And so Jesus said, here, I'm telling you, I am the way to get there, and I am the truth. And you can believe it because I'm telling you the truth. He's telling us that he's not only the truth, but he's the embodiment of the truth. And that he's impressing upon his disciples then and you and me today that he is the only way to a relationship with God. That the Christian faith is not one of many ways, it is the only way. It is the only way to have pardon for our sin, to have peace with God, to have purpose in this life, to have the promise of eternal life in heaven, to have protection against eternal hell and separation. All of that because Jesus is the way. There are many voices calling out to you and me today, voices in social media, in television and in the movies and music, in the classrooms, in, in workplace, in government, in other religions, and even in so-called churches calling out to us, saying this is the truth, this is how you need to think, this is the way you get to know God. But the voice of truth tells us a different story, doesn't it? Jesus, in the greatest speech ever given, the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, closed that sermon at the end of Matthew chapter 7, and he said, whoever hears these words of mine, the truth, and does them is like a wise man, a wise woman, who builds their house on a rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew against the house, and it stood because it was built on a rock. But whoever hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man, a foolish woman who built their house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew, beat against the house, and that house fell because it was built on sand. The voice of truth says, I am the truth. Follow me. The voice of truth also in this gospel says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. John chapter 10 Verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And a few verses later, verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Jesus had been confronting the religious leaders. Uh, he was speaking to them in front of his disciples and onlookers and seekers. And he was criticizing them, was being critical of them for putting legalistic burdens on their people and not living up to those standards themselves for trying to discredit Jesus. And Jesus is saying to them, you are not good shepherds, but I am the good shepherd. And he's telling the people, you can trust me. These are not being good shepherds. They are leading you down the wrong path. I am here to care for you. And when he said those words, I am the good shepherd, he brought to their mind the psalm that David 
wrote years earlier, Psalm 23, the one that is so near and dear to our hearts. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the still waters. He restores my soul. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. can stop right there, can't it? They would understand that, that Jesus, out of his deep love for us, says, I will care for you. I will protect you. I will lead you. I will even die for you because I am the good shepherd. He's not like these other shepherds leading them astray. He is the one who can be counted on to be trusted. And so I know some of you today are struggling, struggling with a health issue, maybe a financial concern, maybe a relationship situation, Maybe wondering what the upcoming year is going to hold. And the Lord says, I care for you. I am your shepherd. Out of his deep love for us. The Apostle Paul knew that love, right? Apostle Paul knew that the Lord cared for him. And he wrote at the end of the book of Philippians, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And the apostle Peter walked with Jesus for three years, saw Jesus' care and compassion, didn't he? And he was able to write, cast all your care, all your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. I see my bride Betty over there of 36 plus years and we uh, were a blind date. So blind dates do work. They are successful. So 36 years into that and when I was dating Betty she was working for a hospital corporation EHS Evangelical Health Systems. She was doing special events for them and doing them very well and one of those hospitals was Good Shepherd Hospital up in Barrington, and it was a place that cared for people, a place that showed compassion, that understood hurting people, that sought to bring relief and comfort to them, just like the namesake, the Good Shepherd. And Matthew West, in his recent song, just I picked up on what he was saying there, and it just made me think of this. He said, uh, in Truth Be Told, he said, didn't you say the church should look more like a hospital, a safe place for the sick, the sinner, and the scarred, and the prodigals like me? The church is that place. All are welcome to come and experience the Lord's comfort and care. The voice of truth in this gospel says, I am the light of the world. Chapter 8, Jesus speaking again, verse 12. And Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. 
In the same context as the previous, Jesus is confronting the religious leaders and he is challenging them because they're trying to discredit his credentials as a prophet. And he was identifying their leadership as one that was in darkness, that they were leading others into darkness. And Jesus says that in him, in the truth, is the light for people to walk in. And the Lord says that when you and I follow him and his word, we are living in the light. The light of understanding, the light of direction in a dark world. The world was dark then, the world is dark now, but he says when we pass the light on, when we pass his word on, we're passing his light on. And I was thinking about that over the past week or so, and I was just thinking about instances of this world being dark, and I thought, you know, we live in a vulgar and violent world, don't we? The darkness of it, and I saw this one illustration of a a guy at, at the Miami airport, he was all bent out of shape because his flight was delayed or canceled, and he started a big fight, and a, and a riot broke out there right in the Miami airport, uh, just kind of indicative of the, of the tempers flaring and the, and the confrontational spirit that we often see. I was born in the city of Chicago. It was my kind of town. You know, I was born, born there and I lived in the suburbs but visited it often. But this past week, reading about it, the number of shooting victims in Chicago this year, 4,270. Homicides risen to 783. It was so bad they said that even a Santa Claus on a street corner was assaulted and beaten up. Uh, it's not my kind of town anymore, but it's indicative again of the violence that we have, the darkness we have. And Jesus said, I have come to be the light. And when you and I are walking with Jesus and following the light, he says, you and I can make a difference. The way we walk, the way we talk, even, in a sense, the way we look, our countenance. In Nehemiah, it says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. I heard someone say one time, kind of challenging Christ followers, said, you know, if the joy of the Lord is really your strength, why don't you tell your face about it? Because I think oftentimes we as Christians walk around like we've been sucking out a bunch of lemons, you know? We, 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 we don't have that joy. Now, life is difficult. Not all life is happy, we understand that, but the, the joy of the Lord, the countenance that we can portray in a dark world can make a big difference. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they would see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Paul said that you may be blameless and innocent children of God and blemish, without blemish in the midst of a what? Crooked and twisted or perverted world among whom you shine as lights in the world. I thought about that the other night. If you were here for Christmas Eve, it was a wonderful service, just a great spirit. And we were up here, and then, of course, the highlight is silent night, right? And the lights go down, and a candle is lit, and then you begin to light. And I remember I was walking over to the steps over there, and the lights were all down. Bennett Kirkpatrick, who did a great job reading, and I 
but it was still really, really dark. And I, I, all I was thinking, I was going to face plant down those steps and smash him in the process. But fortunately, there was an, enough light that we made it down the steps. And by then, everybody was getting a light. And it was taking the darkness out of the room individually. One, 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 one. And then pretty soon, everybody had the light. And the whole room just lit up. And that's what Jesus is saying. You and I are his light individually. We can make a difference in the darkness, but as a church, as a group of Christ followers, we can truly expel the darkness that is out there. The voice of truth tells us that. And finally, the voice of truth in this gospel says, I am the resurrection and the life. Chapter 11, Jesus speaking, said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus was late in his earthly ministry. He was about to perform the greatest miracle of his three years of ministry. He was going to raise Lazarus from the dead as a testimony, as a sign to him being almighty God. But he allowed Lazarus to die. And he shows up and Martha, Lazarus' sister, comes and is, is weeping and saying, Oh, Jesus, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus turns and said those great words, I am the resurrection and the life. Believe in me, trust in me. And Jesus reminds you and me that he could say that because he himself, just a few days later, would be conquering death and resurrecting himself and resurrecting us because of that. And that assurance of the resurrection for you and me should give us great courage, great hope that the grave is not the end, that there's more, and that he will resurrect us and give us eternal life. Warren Wiersbe, I love this quote, he's an old-time preacher, teacher, Bible scholar, he said, quote, the assurance of a heavenly home at the end of life's road enables us to bear joyfully with the obstacles and battles along the way. That gives me great assurance, doesn't it, and hope. But not only that, the resurrection of Jesus gives us power to live the Christ-like life that he's called us to. Paul said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Jeremy Camp says, this, saying, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in us. Chris Tomlin sings, I have resurrection power living on the inside, Jesus. It allows us to bear with the difficulties because we have the resurrection power and the hope that Jesus gives us as the resurrection. So the voice of truth says to you and me this morning, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am able to save you. I will save you, trust me. I am the good shepherd. I will care for you, trust me. I am the light of the world. I will lead you and guide you. Trust me. I am 
the resurrection and the life. I will resurrect you. Trust me. Which one of those truths do you need to contemplate today? Do you need to claim in your life? Do you need to cling to? I close by remembering that earlier in Jesus' ministry, he set up this confrontation with Pilate, these words to Pilate, by saying this to his disciples then and to you and me today. He said in John chapter 8, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's where the freedoms come. Jesus' voice, the voice of truth, says that in him is freedom. Freedom we can know, freedom we can experience, freedom that is life-changing. So in this year of 2021, as it finishes, as we head into 2022, what freedom do you need to experience from the Lord and his word of truth? Maybe it's freedom from worry and stress about your health or finances or freedom from bitterness or stress from a broken relationship. Maybe it's freedom from an addiction. Maybe it's freedom from past sins that still haunt you in some way. All of us, all of us need to know the Lord loves us, cares for us, and because he is the truth, he provides the freedom that each one of us needs. Let's take a moment here and just be quiet and ask the Lord uh, to give you that truth, that hope of freedom in your life that he might be speaking into your life right now. Lord, in the quietness of this time, uh, we give thanks that you are the truth, that you came to give us your truth as a witness. Thank you for entering this world to do that. Thank you that you've given us your great I am statements to remind us that you are almighty God, that you're the way, the truth, and the life, that you're the good shepherd, you're the light of the world, you're the resurrection and the life. We can trust you. Lord, please bring freedom in that area of my life, our lives, that need your touch today. And Lord, uh, <clears throat> I close by echoing the wonderful words from an old song. We will glorify the King of Kings. We will glorify the Lamb. We will glorify the Lord of Lords who is the great I Am. Amen. It's such a great <clears throat> time for us to move into the Lord's table, isn't it? To be thinking about the truth. Because the Lord said truthfully, 
When you do this, you're remembering my death and resurrection. When you take the bread and you drink the cup, you are remembering what I did for you until I return again for you. If you're a Christ follower, we invite you to partake today as you take the bread. May we take a moment and just reflect and repent if there's anything in our life that we need cleansing from. May we do so. Lord, your word says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. As we come and partake, we're grateful. You, the voice of truth, died for us, rose again, that we could have forgiveness and new life and hope and meaning because of your great love for us. Amen. The bread. In the same way, Jesus took the cup and said, This is my blood shed for you for the remission of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. Come. Again, Lord, we're grateful for this time to come together as your church, your body. Thank you for your love and grace for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.